Welcome back to Beyond the Sectors, your bi-monthly podcast all about the beyond world of author duo Kit Roca. My name is Chelsea. And I'm Anna. And today, friends, we are here to talk about Beyond Forever, which is the second volume in the Okay and for Life novella series. Uh, it does take place after the entire Beyond series has wrapped up. So we didn't say this on our first episode, but if for some reason you've decided to hop on at this point, I would highly suggest hopping back off and doing some <laughs> catching up because there will be like spoilers and all sorts of things. Um I kind of figured that went without saying, but also, like, maybe I should just put that out there. Uh, <laughs> this is the novella that is all about Lex and Dallas. We get several different vignettes, different points in their relationship, going all the way back to the night that they first meet. Um, so we will go ahead and hop in there. This novella is literally broken down into, like, novelettes, mm-hmm. and each one is titled with, like, the the time period at which has occurred. So... Like we first and it goes started. back and forth in time because we keep mm-hmm. checking in with current day Lex and uh, Dallas as as we get moments of their journey. Because mm-hmm. we very first open with opening night and this is uh, literally they're getting ready to do their open on the new like freshly rebuilt broken circle. But and, uh, you know, Dallas is kind of walking through checking on everything and we end with him entering his office and him kind of waxing poetic because they're sitting in the place of honor is this like safe and it's been beat up and it's been battered and it's nobody knew why Dallas wanted to pay to drag it out of the rubble of the bombed broken circle. But there it sits. And we flash back to six years ago. Loyal readers will probably know exactly what we're flashing back to. But do you want to go ahead and let them know what our next little vignette is about? Yes, this is the big moment where uh, Dallas is, has saved enough money that he's going to make a, the transition from cheap rum into starting to laying down some whiskey. So he has all his payroll, all the money set aside to um, pay for this new uh, amount of corn and all this kind of the supplies that he needs. And this is like the big moment. And then he wanders into his office and there is Lex in the middle of robbing him. And they have this little, little sexy pie play, you know, and, you know, she's doing her best uh, sector to mine fuck of uh, Dallas. And he thinks he gets everything back, except she's taken the credit stick. And then his world falls apart. It is very much so like she he does the pat down and he finds the giant wad of cash. So he thinks that they're in the clear. And so he lets her go. Right. Our are secretly a little bit soft inside Teddy Bear. And like, he is enamored with her. So he decides he's going to let her go. It's not worth his time. Of course, the minute she's out of his sight, he goes back and realizes that the actual thing that's missing is not the, the cash for payroll. It is his life savings. And so then we immediately cut to Lex and she is on the mad dash. She cannot believe that he has let her go. She knows he doesn't realize what she's got. She takes it home. She plugs in the credit stick and her eye like cartoon like telescope out of her head. And all of a sudden she realizes like she has not just robbed this guy. She has potentially fucked his entire life beyond a point <laughs> right she has mad money this is ma- money that she can live free and clear from everywhere else so she could you know hop on a bike and get out of town but she doesn't which is and- why i love that the next thing she does of course 
is she walks back into Dallas's life, back into his bar, back into his office, just having robbed him not 12 hours ago, and she gives him his money back. Which, A, is wonderful because... Lex is not, you know, they have this kind of speech where she's she's trying to be a Robin Hood, right? Like mm-hmm. she's not out to take the livelihoods of people who can't afford to lose their livelihoods. So like she's not there to do that. But also she's very much so just as kind of already addicted to Dallas as he is to her. So from the beginning, there's very much so this power dance back and forth where they both really want each other, but for a whole variety of reasons can't and yeah, won't. Yeah, from the very beginning, they're, they're just, they're trying to figure each other out. So you really get that dynamic of this, the, the them being pitted against each other in this mind game about what they really want, who's getting the upper hand. And, you know, like we were talking about how Ren and Six aren't competitive. Here, this is the, 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 the beginnings of Lex and Dallas is very competitive. But who's going to be on top? And they they're going to try to out macho each other, you know, or out sexy each other. Who can who can totally seduce the other one into submission? And um, this starts that toxic game that that blows up in beyond control. And I really like that you phrase it that way because it is a, like a very toxic relationship that they have in this way like it it's fun to watch them banter and it's fun to watch it play out in a certain regard especially because we know where the end game is and we know how they ultimately end up resolving it and that it becomes resolved but it is very kind of unhealthy the way that they choose to act around each other and challenge each other and how they have to kind of come to grips with that I love that there's that line from Lex about you know, basically how Dallas needs to, once he buy, once he gets her the right thing, that's what she says. Once he brings her the right thing, then the game will change. And, and that's why he spends so much money and so long on all on the art and the dresses and the and all those things we see when we first get to be on shame, those rooms and rooms of stuff, because he's looking for that thing. And as we learn in Beyond Control, all that shit is just shit and is not anything to do with what Lex is actually looking for. But this is where we first see that ball start to get rolling. Right. So there's that thing where like it means nothing to her or it's because it's not the right thing. But it's still like it's a thing that she can't get rid of because it's something that he's giving her. So that's just such a challenge of them trying to figure out each other. Right. And they have such walls about what they really are willing to show the other. Um, and we get to see a lot of her relationship with Nessa, where it starts and how nervous Dallas is all about it. Because if it was dangerous enough that she almost walked out with that stick of money in her ball, in her, in her boot, she walks out with Nessa into the marketplace and wins her heart. And get, worse for Dallas, gives her something that he's never been able to give. So there's that moment of like that, that also that just builds that whole thing of that they have this wanting so much of each other, but they can't just say what they need from each other because they're not in a place to give it to each other yet. They have to have so much growth. I love that we get a whole kind of chapter or story devoted to that relationship with Nessa because not only does that help us to learn about 
um, Pep and and the history of Dallas more specifically. You know, we learn about Texas and the trip and kind of all the stuff scattered throughout the other series. But this is where we really learn about how much of a father figure this man has been to Dallas. And then he brings along, you know, his granddaughter, who very much so becomes this daughter figure. But it's also the first time that we see Lex just through her behavior showing Dallas something and teaching Dallas something that he was completely blind to, which is essentially that Nessa is a person. Mm -hmm. Nessa is not just this repository of information on how to brew alcohol. Like she's been trapped and, and she's not happy. And Lex makes her happy. And there's that scene where they come back from the market and it really kind of hits Dallas. that Like this is a very specific way that he's failed. And for all of the other things he's managed to keep going and the balls he's managed to keep up in the air, if his people aren't happy, he's not doing something right. And I think this is where we first see him kind of beginning to learn that and see that Lex is or can be a vital piece in providing that kind of missing aspect. Right. And I mean, to the point where eventually, you know, like we, we get, we go through the progress of how they become members of the gang. So we have Rachel's introduction and then, um, and then how they realize that they're not members of the gang. They might have the tattoos, but they be, so they belong to the gang, but they're not members of the gang. And what they have to do to show him that, it's not just Braun that builds this place. It's all the knowledge that, you know, they have developed. You know, Amira's ability to uh, know how to smooth those people. I love how much we get to know her here. Uh, yeah. Get to know her uh, not just as the mother of, uh, of the baby Hannah or the wife of Flash, but really this person who managed the broken circle and yeah. made it the successful bar that it was. Um and how blind uh, Dallas was to that kind of labor. Um, and because if he can't put you on a roster to go beat some people up, it just didn't, like, he thinks he's running a bootlegging gang, right? So mm-hmm. that's what he's, so he's, but he, 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 like, he's blind to the fact that he's now running a business and a corporate, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Lex has to show him. That he has many people with more value to what is he's building than he thinks mm-hmm. he does. Well, I think it's interesting because the women, right? He has to be showing this about the women. Because he says from the beginning, because we meet Ace very mm-hmm. early on. And he says from the beginning right. that the reason Ace is with him is not to bust heads. You know, he can go out in the street and recruit 50 men to just be muscle. Mm-hmm. He knows that it's about branding and ace is an artist and ace can bring him a this reputation from eden that we later learn is not as true as everybody believes it to be but also (laughs) he's an artist he can design the logos and the bottles and build a brand and so dallas can recognize that kind of power in the men around him and it takes lex and this opening of the door with nessa and further beyond that for him to start to realize that that applies to the women too and that like I love the scene where Lex comes in and like looks at the bar and is just kind of like meh like it literally looks like my house like it looks like a basement I can I can stay home and drink in a basement like she really has to kind of open up his eyes that although he's thought about branding like he has not thought about like building an empire like it's almost Mad Men right like she she's she yeah it's about the way the place looks and about how he looks and about 
you know, they get into that conversation about breaking up the other stills, right? This is back when Dallas would break up bootleggers and take their equipment without realizing how that, that was affecting his right, reputation that's on him the streets. Look like he and, needs their liquor. Uh, she she really makes him aware of the vulnerabilities that he uh, to the things that he thinks are power. And it's really fascinating because she it take like I love and not that she ever has been, but like Lex is not a passive person, right? Like she does not wait for Dallas. Like she knows that if he wants to stop the slow seepage of his reputation. They got to go bust up these other bootleggers and these other distilleries and they got to go cause some chaos. And she just doesn't. <laughs> and mad, they just go do it. And I love that scene of them like coming home, like semi wasted on like rot gut and also on um, beating up these other like guys and smashing all this shit. And like <laughs> I do, he's mad, right? Like Dallas is like legit mad and Lex is, has to walk him through like why he can't afford to do that. Like, he's just thinking, like, he's trying to be kind, right? Or he's he just, like, he's coming from a mindset of, like, keep everything because you don't know when things are going to go. Like, he, it's so pre-flares and living through the flares that he doesn't realize that, like, it's doing a detriment to him. And what he needs to do is actually smash it down to build this reputation that's going to benefit him the most in the long run. Right, because he's he's hoarding it because he sees as a resources that shouldn't be wasted and destroyed. And she's like, your reputation is what shouldn't be wasted and destroyed. So you can afford to buy another thing of barrels and stuff. So you're not going to even use their shit. Right. You don't need to have it in, in, a, in a warehouse. <laughs> you, know? you need to show people that this this is what's wrong. You can't take my line. And so, and then of course we we continue to go, and there's you know we see their the tension escalate between them as Lex gets jumped, and then we have that whole scene where we kind of see the first major kind of inking in of some of these foundational mm-hmm. members and what mm-hmm. that looked like and how like it's fun it's fun to go back in time right of a kind of semi mostly completed officially long form completed series and see like the seeds of everything right knowing what the future of Kane uh, drinking in ceremony looks like and how that is here with this much smaller group and I think that's one of the things I enjoy the most overall about this book is we really do get to do our deep flashback to some of the core characters like it's so interesting to see these flashes of like jazz without noel right and see him like being this bachelor and kind of freewheeling or to see mad early on and when he's still wrestling deeply with some of like this the sector one stuff and right. so the, the, we're basically one of the options that is given when lex has gone away with the money is that well i could go ask my cousin what a different book this is if this is like sector one industries you know uh what a different place mad would have felt connected to if if dallas isn't able to build this the and the O'Kane's, in the way that he does, he would have been forever tied to Sector One in a way that would have hurt him. And you know that Dallas doesn't want to have him do that. So again, it just get, deepens. It's, it's like we get to see all the deleted scenes, all the past scenes mm-hmm. that get alluded to and connected to. Um, because yeah, we've ta- we talked about how Rachel used to feel like she wasn't a real member. Well, because she wasn't a real member, mm-hmm. you know. And, and you know, it's not a false accusation. And so you you really just see that all, you know, and it's just beautiful how seamless they use that to build Lex and Dallas's journey. 
because it's the journey of the gang, mm-hmm. but it's also the journey of them uh, maturing as to, as to what they want. I think because I think very much we don't Lex doesn't know what she wants. Uh, what and and Dallas sure doesn't know. Like I, now, I want to go back and reread Just Beyond Control because mm-hmm. I feel like there is so much context and history specifically for that book like you said this is the story of the the birth and kind of development of the gang which is intrinsically tied to and almost impossible to separate from the history and the growth of the relationship between Lex and Dallas and so seeing these things and knowing these things directly and then seeing how those power dynamics have to get wrestled out and so kind of dramatically dealt with and beyond control and then you know to flash in this novella to beyond that right to end it and I love that I love that we get it like you said the deleted scenes right and we got it Mm -hmm. in the the Brandon six one two and there's always kind of this moment where Brie and Donna write really lovingly and affectionately about one character getting to just kind of pause and look around them and realize like what they've gone through, what's been created, how important it is, what their place is in it. And I love that this book ends with us getting to kind of do that. And for Dallas and Lex to both have this chance to kind of, A, share that insider secret, like how we met kind of Mm -hmm. inside joke almost. And Mm -hmm. also like very much so kind of be proud parents and reflecting on like, the literal new generations being born and the new sector leaders that are taking over and how all of that is working out for them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, okay. So transitioning towards kind of wrapping up favorite parts, there are, there's a lot plot wise that goes on in this book. There's a lot of stuff that happens. So favorite parts or parts that didn't work quite as well. You know, one of the things that was to me very interesting to see here is we knew about uh, Dallas and his women and the women that he had mm-hmm. when he couldn't have Lex. And we actually get to meet one of them in this book and really feel for her um, because you get that moment where she realizes how messed up he is about Lex and how he doesn't even know how much she has grown to love him. Um, and that how that's a wake up call for Dallas of how how badly he's treating other people because he has his heart in one direction and what he wants someplace else, you know. So that's always, to me, that's, you know, I love how Brie and Donna don't continually put people who have been in other relationships and they're not evil, they're not villains. Um, they're just in the wrong relationship at the wrong time kind of thing. Uh, or it was the right relationship that has come to an end. Um, so I love that we yeah. get this scene where she gets to be righteously angry and just because she's seeing the toxicity of Lex and Dallas and that they're hurting other people in between. And that so, so it's like, you know what? You can, can have your shit, but don't drag me into it kind of thing. Um, that, was, that was really powerful. I really love that scene. And I think it's a risky thing to put in, right? Because yeah. you have to acknowledge that he had these relationships and these people in his life who really cared for him, um, but that he right, was using. Yeah, because Dallas is our hero, you know, and we always want to root for our heroes, even when they're flawed and even when we can acknowledge that they're flawed. But at the same time, like, it is an important moment to pause and acknowledge that like Dallas was the bad guy in that relationship. Like if we were to look at that relationship through her lens, which, you know, we're able to do more as we meet her as a character, Mm -hmm. like he's the bad guy. He's stringing her along. He's going to her kind of, 
not making false promises, but also very clearly not invested in her in the same way he is in Lex. He and doesn't that is see her. Painful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and basically she calls him on the fact that basically he's objectified her, made her an object in his life rather in somebody he can appease with a little bit of this and with a little piece of him. And that that's not fair. And it's so understandable, but it's also such a harsh reminder that we have gone back in time because we have the Dallas of the now is so has learned so much, right? Like he's mm-hmm. had so many different women in the O'Kane life kind of whip his ass into shape and open up his eyes. And so it's it's very much so kind of putting back into perspective the full like arc of this character in the growth he's had. For me, I had a similar kind of moment where there's a very small moment where her and Dallas are fighting and Lex threatens to like run away. Yeah. And and it's very it's kind of hard because like you very much so or I very much so got the feeling that like she would do it. And this is, you know, in Beyond Control, she leaves Dallas's life in his area, but she never once kind of threatens to leave the O'Kane's as a whole like Mm -hmm. but at this point everything is still new enough and young enough and fledgling enough that like you very much so get this idea that like had a misstep been had or had something gone wrong or chips fallen differently she would have left and then the whole future of everything that we know would have looked so drastically different because of how many people look to lex for so much of that soft power and that emotional support and that kind of things that Dallas just doesn't know how to do. Right. That That's the grim, dark AU of uh, <laughs> the O'Kane's, right? Where Lex walks out of his life, gives up on him. Um, because you really get a sense that in the end, it's a really her stubbornness that keeps them together. Uh, because a lot of us would have given up on Dallas a long time ago. Um, and obviously he was worth it. But boy. Did he have a journey? Yes. He, I would be willing to say that of all of the different, you know, we've had a lot of heroes with a lot of tragic backstories. We've had a lot to overcome in the course of these books. But I would be willing to say that in terms of sheer starting point to end point, <laughs> Dallas is one of our most changed mm-hmm. characters for the better. And I think it is an example of how you do kind of a quote, like redemption arc, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the things Dallas has to be redeemed for, you know, you can have your debates about where they fall on like the the moral gray code but it is very much so the story of this person who is toxic borderline you know dismissive and abusive of the women in his life very much so objectifying of them and closed off and how you put in the work like for the character how the character shows putting in the work to do that change and to come through that like cycle of mind shifting and stuff and it has so much to do with the world building, but also with the characters that he interacts with, that it's really fun and really beautiful to kind of see where he's at now, knowing where the series ends. Well, especially like we we get to see like the way Noel teases him and moves him. And you realize how much growth he had already done by the time Noel mm-hmm. shows up. Um, so, you know, like. Noel would have gotten chewed up by version 101 of Dallas. You know? oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Noel would not have survived in O'Kane version 1.0 pre-Lex kind of coming in and yeah. sucking the scene. But you're right. It is a good way to look at and give context to how much has already shifted and changed and gone on before we even enter our book one, right? Like our official starting mm-hmm. point of the series. Like, I, I would not want anyone to be spoiled, so I don't recommend reading these things out of order. But I do wonder what that would be like to read just the flashbacky stuff 
before you got into reading, say, Beyond Shame or Beyond Control, just to have that knowledge going. Like, I just, because we can't ever have that, right? Like, we don't have that experience. So I just wonder what that would do to your reading of those books, having seen already this. Because, you know, you and I both talked in those episodes about how we didn't exactly start off loving Dallas, right? Like, it's really hard to start off loving Dallas. I as, think like, it, I mean, it would have given us so much more context to the Wade Lex tattoos herself with Declan and yeah. you know, his name. Um, mm-hmm. And why, I mean, because you see that that's sort of like the culmination of a series of events of yeah. it just, it's just one more topping. And it makes, like, I remember thinking, wow, he reacted really badly to this, you know? Yeah. Uh, but you realize, oh, they've been playing this game for such a long time. And then we, by, by reading Beyond Forever, we actually see the the length of this game and um the just the things that they're doing to each other so it gives much more context to why that was such a climactic thing mm-hmm. i mean as it is obviously it makes sense to us when we first read it but it just has so much more depth and you realize yeah. how pivotal pivotal oh my goodness pivotal it is to the game um mm-hmm. yeah i do think you're right that's really really almost one of, I think, kind of the key things that we see happen that puts something later in context of like, you're right, because the first time I read the book, and even on the second, the reread, it still is, he he does go to 11 very quickly. And given the context now that we have with this novella, he's not really going to 11, like he's just having a natural reaction to what is another gauntlet being thrown down. But as much as they are able to like explain and contextualize his reaction within the confines of beyond control it is it still does feel a little abrupt mm-hmm. or even like why she would choose this to be the next kind of like yeah. gauntlet to be thrown down an action that she's going to do like it just make puts both of their mindsets in so much more clarity that like all of the domino events that come after that just become more easy to understand because i think they get lined up in this novella Mm -hmm. and then get knocked down Mm -hmm. in beyond control yeah yeah so yeah i think it's one of those things that it had the story just feels right when you have read the whole series um i feel like it's not one of those like everything you know is wrong moments it's more like oh kind of feeling and um so it has so much value and beauty there uh, but yeah, I think it's completely different experience if you have seen all these little moments before you you get to know them <laughs> in the mess that they're in. Oh, absolutely agree. Well, all right, friends. I think that about wraps up everything that we had to say about um, Beyond Forever. Yes. I, was almost, I almost called it Beyond Out. <laughs> about Beyond week. Forever. I know, that was last week. We are... Uh, for this moment, officially done with our Beyond books. We are officially closing down Sector 4. We will do some more shorts in the future that have some overlap with some characters that we will see. But with a heavy sigh and slightly heavy hearts, we will officially be closing the doors on our Sector 4 material and transitioning to talk about Sector 1. 
So that means that in two weeks, we will be back to talk about Ashwin. Luckily for us, because this is, I think Brie and Donna were aware that this would be a little bit of like a crossover book and they would have plenty of Beyond fans. There are lots of character cameos and plenty of Easter eggs in this next one. But yeah, join us in a couple of weeks. We will be back to talk about Ashwin. After that comes, it's Deacon and then Ivan, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes I flip them around in my brain, but yep. So Deacon and then Ivan. Basically all of the three currently available Gideon's Rider books. If you haven't read them yet, what are you doing? Go read them now. You can find all of them wherever you usually get your books from. Uh, but yeah, until we come back next time, do you want to let them know where they can find us? Yes, you can find us on beyondthesectors.com where we have our show notes and all our news. And then also on Beyond Sectors on Twitter. All right. And I am on Twitter at an outlaw life. And I'm on Twitter as Anna Koki. All right, friends. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on our journey thus far and continue. Uh, we're so excited to have you continue with us as we shift to sector one. But until next time, friends, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and we'll see you beyond the sectors. Bye, guys. Bye. Woo.